Welcome to Write Stuff Radio, where we showcase Christian authors worldwide. Each week, join me for a new author and a great new book to add to your library. Welcome to The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J. Thank you so much for joining me. Today we are going to be talking to my guest co-host and contributor today, Eric Landfree. He is the author of the book, Solitary Man, but today we're going to talk about book two or the sequel to the story, Conflicted Man. It just came out in March and I was so excited to read this story and I'm so glad he's here with me today to talk about it. Now, before I do that, I want to thank you all for your support of Right Stuff. We have been showcasing Christian authors for the past nine years and as God gives us grace, we'll continue to do so. To find out how you can help out, simply go to patreon.com slash stuff and see what you can do. And as always, we covet your prayers. I want to thank you for your support of my newest release, The Once and Future Queen. It's available on Amazon.com exclusively. This is my take on Arthurian legend where I recast Guinevere as a Nubian princess named Gwenhava, which is to the time period of the day. So Guinevere is a French pronunciation and Gwenhava is the Welsh pronunciation. So been getting really good feedback from that book. So if you want to pick up your copy, you can go to Amazon.com and pick it up today. I would love to get your thoughts on that. And so without further ado, I'm going to introduce my guest co-host and contributor today, Eric Landfree. Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Parker. Thanks for having me. And thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy schedule to be with me today. It's been about a year or two since we had you on the show from the last book. So I want to have people to be reacquainted with you. So go ahead and reacquaint yourself to our listeners today. Well, I am a West Virginia native. I live in New Hampshire with my wife. I have a son who's going to be 21 next month. So I'm an old dog. My writing is my passion. It's been my passion since I was 13 years old. I've been cranking out stories and things like that. Finally published Solitary Man three years ago. Basically, Solitary Man was the question of what would it look like for a Christian to live in a post-apocalyptic world? And the story grew and bloomed beyond that into a second book, which we have now, Conflicted Man, and possibly even a third book in the future if things go well. So, Oh, what would you call a third book? Because you got Solitary Man, you got Conflicted Man. What would be the third book called, just if you were thinking about it? I'm definitely sticking with the blank man theme. I just haven't decided on an adjective yet. Oh, okay. I can't wait. If you do do that, I cannot wait because the book is good. This whole series is good. I know it's just two books right now, but you can really expand this world. And that's what makes this world so unique because of its believability. The fact that you can actually see this happening. This is a real thing that can come to pass. So I really like those type of things. So let's go ahead really quickly and just acquaint our listeners with the first book, Solitary Man. What was that about? Who was our main character? And what was his mission and his journey? 
Sure. Solitary Man began with two protagonists. You have Doyle, the ex-Navy SEAL, who's just a survivalist. He's prowling the country in an armored school bus. He meets up with a group of Christians led by Jonathan, who wants to be a missionary. He wants to reestablish the church and the destroyed world and proclaim the gospel. And they strike a bargain, and Doyle protects them as they preach the gospel. And at the same time, that gospel is affecting Doyle, but there also there's a kind of a dichotomy of their worldviews bouncing off of each other as the Christian worldview collides with Doyle's secular worldview. And Solitary Man ends with Doyle leaving to find answers to questions he's gotten along the way, some possible conspiracy theories and things like that that have developed. And that's a conflicted man basically comes along to help answer those questions. Now, you said that you have published this three years ago. And I know this was, I believe your debut book, correct? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And also the Ambassador International, which is how we connected. And now you have the second book. What have you learned about writing from book one to book two? It's really a lot of, there's a lot of technical stuff. I had a terrific editor on Solitary Man, Daphne Self. She did a great job and really learned a lot from her and took a lot of the lessons that I applied from her and other folks who read Solitary Man as well, and just really applied those to the writing in Conflicted Man. I'm already getting feedback that they think that this is even better than the first, is what they're telling me. So I'm happy that that's translated well. I definitely feel like Conflicted Man is an improvement. I mean, I've obviously, I'm a much better writer than I was when I started that when I was 13 years old. But that just good to see that, you know, you can just always be open to grow and change as a writer, to have people in your life who will critique you and help you become better because there's always room to improve. I like the fact you said, I'm pretty sure I've gotten better since I was 13. <laughs> pretty sure. I think you got better a lot of things since you were 13 years old. And so now we're following our main protagonist because she left us with him, like you said, going to get answers to his questions here. And I don't want to spoil the story too much, but with Conflicted Man, you really can tell that your writing has improved. And I don't want to say that as if, oh, it was really bad in the first book. It's not that. It's just that your level of depth has improved with the writing and the story and the narrative, things of that nature. That's what that is. And so now we're following him. And as much as you can, because it's always so difficult to not give away the plot when you're dealing with a sequel. This is like a direct sequel to Solitary Man with some differences. So go ahead and just give us what's going on in Conflicted Man. So near the end of Solitary Man, Doyle crossed paths with a man named Morris, a crazy one-armed man who was spouting all kinds of gibberish, but some of it made sense to Doyle. And so these are the questions that he's seeking answers to. But really, the book is about Doyle's spiritual journey. That's why the, the first section of the book is I strip everything away, that everything that makes Doyle him, like the school bus, the weapons, everything else, I strip that all away. And he basically, he meets a family of Appalachian hillbillies who take him in after he's been injured and they nurse him back to health. And they turn out to also be Christians and they proclaim the gospel to him. So it's not a spoiler that Doyle becomes a Christian because it's on page 38 of 350 page novel. So I will so he does come to faith in Christ and then the rest of the book is about that conflict comes. Here is the old man and the new man battling with himself inside. You know, he's his old worldview combined with the new Christian worldview that he's trying to embrace. And it, you know, and it really is the the same struggle that we all have, the old man, the old flesh battling against the new creation that God has made us. And so Doyle learns how to do that. Sometimes he makes the right choice and sometimes he doesn't, just like all of us. So the book is more, you know, we do answer the questions that Doyle wants answers to, but it's really about the journey of a man who is new in the faith 
and is trying to learn and grow as much as he can. I like the fact that you use this dystopian world as a playground for learning about his faith, though. I mean, you know, in the first book, he had to deal with all sorts of mischief and all sorts of trials, troubles, crazy people, all sorts of things. And now he's going further into this thing called faith and still has to deal with that. And so he struggles with God's sovereignty and his ability to affect it. And do you think that's something a new Christian, particularly Doyle's background and with his worldview, is that something that they struggle with, knowing that I can trust God even when I don't understand? I mean, I think even a seasoned Christian can struggle with that, depending on the circumstances they're facing. It's not easy to accept awful things. But we also know, I mean, Scripture teaches us that God is sovereign, that He is the King. He rules over everything. And it says in Lamentations 3 that both good and bad come from the Almighty. And so we have to accept that as a fact because the Scripture says it. And we also know that God is good. So it's like, okay, these bad things coming from a good God, what is their purpose? And sometimes people struggle with that. Ultimately, it's for our good and God's glory. That's what is the ultimate answer to that. But it is very human to grapple with those kinds of questions. And so in this worldview that we have right now with Doyle, what's the world looking like? Well, basically, the nation, after the war, Doyle finds that the nation was not as affected by war as he thought it was. Uh, He comes to the city of Charleston, West Virginia, which is my hometown. So I had to give them a shout out and bring my hometown in. I love I love Charleston. It's a beautiful city. And I have lots of great memories there. Had my first job at a Burger King in downtown Charleston. So there you go. But I, so he comes to Charleston, West Virginia, which has become the, the new capital of East America. And so the, the nation has basically been split into two different nations. And we focus mainly on East America. And we find that there's a kind of a dystopian world put in place where the government rules pretty much with an iron fist. There's an established religion led by a a charlatan preacher named Gideon Gray. There's a lot going on here. So I have to, it's it's hard because I dropped so many big reveals into this story. It's hard not to talk about it without spoiling it. But uh, I'll give you the basics. He, uh, Doyle comes across a church that is an illegal church because it's not sanctioned by the state. And it's led by a man named Gabe and his father, Michael who are basically operating a mission for the homeless and the displaced and trying to share the gospel with them. And they get dragged into the story. And there's also a resistance against the government led by a charismatic man named Damien. And again, Damien and Gabe are kind of the, they're the two worldviews that Doyle has shared. There's the, the worldview of fighting against the establishment. And there's the worldview of the gospel is the most important thing. And so that's Doyle feels pulled in both directions on that. And so he, he he struggles with that. He grapples with which of these two men he should follow, which which one he should believe. Now, there's also two other characters in here, just twin brothers in here. And these twin brothers are actually quite significant to Doyle's journey. And again, I have to make sure I don't give away spoilers, but if you were to describe Kip and Chip, how would you describe them as? That's why we don't give away a spoiler. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, so... Kip and Chip are these sons. They're the ones who saved Doyle at the beginning of the book as he's injured and bleeding out. They're part of the hillbilly family that helps him. And it's funny because when you see what Kip and Chip and recognize their characters, you can see that they kind of mirror that conflict in Doyle. Kip is a believer. Chip is not. And so they both struggle with that. And I would like to claim that I'm a brilliant writer and did that on purpose, but that's really just a happy accident. So I think my, my subconscious brain is a better writer than I am sometimes. 
Don't you love when stuff like that happens? So that's a good thing. Exactly. I love it. Makes people think I'm a lot smarter than I am. So, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, Basically, I have twins in my family, and I'm just like, I want to throw some twins in the story. And then the for the sake of drama, I was just like, well, what if one's saved and one's not? And then it kind of grew from there. And then I started to realize, it's like, oh, this is like these guys represent the two choices in front of Doyle, the secular world and the spiritual. That's where they really kind of brought into their own significance. But I really also tried to develop into their own characters and let them be their own people and not just symbols. They're real characters in the story. But sometimes people, you do meet people that reflect your own inner working sometimes. You do meet people like that. Or you, sometimes you meet a young child and, you, of course, these kids, you go, oh, I remember when I used to think that way. I remember recently just meeting a young girl and just being inspired by her. And she was a young writer like I used to be. And having that connection with usefulness in that regard can open up your own appreciation for whatever it is that you're thinking about. So I definitely like that dichotomy that you have with Kip and Chip in the story. And of course, I love the fact that it's hillbillies. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> hillbillies are always portrayed in a certain way. And it's probably our own American, you know, thing that we have going on. But was that a deliberate thing where you're just doing research say, you know, it'd be good to have hillbillies be part of this. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. That's part of growing up in West Virginia. You know, I live in the city, but I have a lot of rural areas around. I I grew up on the outskirts of Charleston, and so a mostly rural area called Davis Creek. And yeah, we used to ride, I'd ride a bike a mile up the road to go play with my friend Scott, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, my brother would go down to the creek and get ringworm and all kinds of other nastiness. (laughs) But I kind of know what that is. And, uh, you know, I literally have no people who you know, it's like when they talk, I had to clean up the dialect a little for the book so people would actually be able to understand what they were saying. But I've known people who sound like Boomhauer on King of the Hill. That's just that's just the hillbilly way. It's a, there's a certain way of talking, a certain dialect. And I really wanted to bring that to light just to bring, you know, because yeah, hillbillies do have kind of a, a negative stereotype to them. And there are some wonderful people who live in the Appalachian Mountains and they're beautiful, hardworking people. And I thought they needed their due. Yeah, one of my supporters of PJC Network, he will call himself a hillbilly because he lives in West Virginia. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) very nice man. And I haven't talked to him in a minute, but very nice man. His name is George McVeigh. He's our pastor of our uh, network. And he's from the hills. And (laughs) he talks about the dialect and how sometimes you have to really have been born there to know exactly what they're saying. (laughs) And then when you mentioned King of the Hill, I used to watched that when it first came out. I haven't watched it in ages, but I remember going, what in the world is he talking about? Exactly. I mean, it takes place in Texas, but that guy's a hillbilly all the way. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's quite evident. I love it. I love it, Eric. And so we got into some of the nitty gritty of the story. We got into some of the themes that you're discussing in the story. Now, you did put some new characters in here, of course. Of those new characters, because you're bridging the gap from book one to book two, of those new characters, which was the one that really appealed to you the most? I kind of like the character of Damien. I like the notion of a guy who is a hero in a sense, but not necessarily a Christian. There's a lot to work with there. I had the character of Gabe, who is kind of pastoring this illegal church, and I I was very careful to not make Gabe a carbon copy of Jonathan. It's something I was afraid of as, you know, all my Christians are the same kind of thing. And so Damien was actually a way to uh, just kind of, here's a guy who who is well-meaning, well-intended, 
but also has that secular worldview. And he's he maybe similar to Doyle in Solitary Man. He wants to do the right thing, but he's not always sharp enough with as you know as far as where the spirit leads him to make that right choice. Yeah, and I think too sometimes. When it comes to Christian fiction, we tend to want to show every unbeliever in a negative light. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Like you said with Doyle in the first book, he wants to do the right thing. And people often think if you're not doing the right thing, then you're obviously in a negative way. And that's not necessarily the case. But like a better term, we have people who are good unbelievers, people who would never lie, who would never act a certain way or hurt people, but they contribute that to just a moral code that they follow. But then the deeper question comes, where did that moral code come from? Does that moral code matter if you're on planet Earth or planet Pluto? Would it matter if you're on the other side of the galaxy? Those type of questions, when you start to probe these type of things, that's a little bit my apologetic uh, <laughs> upbringing coming up to uh, play right now. But I like that you used him. Actually, as much as I didn't like him, I actually like the preacher, the evil preacher guy, because it's like he's not a caricature. But I've seen him on Earth before, you know what I mean? I've seen that type of personality before. He's throughout history. What were we going to say? What I did for him is I actually went to, you know, he preaches a prosperity gospel, you know, give me money and God will bless you kind of thing, which is uh, an abomination. But I basically went to the Twitter accounts of various prosperity teachers and really studied the things they say and even stole a couple of sentences here and there. When you read Gideon Gray's sermon, some of that stuff is lifted straight from real life prosperity teachers. So, because I wanted him to be as authentic as possible. <laughs> He's authentically awful, that's for sure. <laughs> I, I love the play on words you just said. I wanted him to be as authentic as possible. I love that because he is quite authentic to that. And I'll be the first to say I've always had issues with the prosperity gospel for a long time. But I know why people are drawn to it, because they think it's some type of contract between you and God that God has to seal and you don't. Like God is your bellhop or your bellboy. He's supposed to give you money. He's supposed to give you health and wealth. And you can continue to do and live your life. And God says, if you want to reign with me, you must suffer with me. And you got to think, where did that come from? What did he mean by that? (laughs) You know what I mean? You know, can we take that literally? Well, yeah. And if they crucify Jesus Christ, what do you think they're going to do to you? See? Right. Blessed are they. What are you saying to be out to? He's blessed are they when they hurt you and try to kill you and all these other things. I mean, hello. <laughs> so, yeah. Jesus himself said, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross. I'm like, that doesn't sound like prosperity, you know? That's that sound, That sounds hard. And that's true. Christianity is hard. If you want to genuinely follow Christ, it's difficult for sure. Yeah, because the flesh, you fight with the flesh, like with Doyle, and then you're fighting with external circumstances that affect you, and then you may have things happen to your body, like you get ill. Like right now, people in my family are sick, and they're dealing with chronic illness, and that can affect your faith because you're like, I love you, Lord. Can you please heal me? And if that answer doesn't come right away, that's not a sign of your faith. That's a sign of the fact that you're sick, and we are in bodies that are imperfect, but he said he's going to raise us up to have bodies that will never get sick again, that will never feel pain again, that will never deal with these type of things again. So that's what we look forward to, that blessed hope, if you will. But yeah, so lots of good stuff. So I actually liked him even as I hated him. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Liked him as I hated him. So what I want you to do right now, I would love for you to read an excerpt, and it's on Chapter 4, right before the big twist in Doyle's belief system here. So it's a Chapter 4. So I'm going to go ahead, set up the scene, and I'm going to mute myself and let you take it over there. The house's front door opens, and a morbidly obese man wearing nothing but thermal underwear, snow boots, and a blood-stained apron steps out onto the porch. As he rolls a cigarette and lights it, he looks over to the growling dog and says, 
Shut up, you mutt. He carelessly drops his lighter on the porch and steps out into the yard, traipsing through the snow toward a large frame in the corner of the property where he has a dead doe trussed up, her blood and entrails a vibrant red splash on the snow beneath. He selects a long knife from a rusty toolbox sitting by the frame, then continues the skinning he must have begun earlier. That's Cyrus, whispers Kip. He's the middle brother, and he's as stupid as he is fat. So there are three brothers. Anybody else? They're folks, though their daddy's in worse shape than ours, old man Clifford. But Mama Nadine's who you gotta watch out for, Chip chimes in. She's the meanest one of all. I nod, my brain soaking up the intel. So who's the youngest brother? That would be Freddy, says Kip. Smart, but not as smart as Bo. Really, problem with him is his temper. He'll go off over nothing, and then he just won't stop. Something snaps behind us, and when I flip over onto my back, I find myself staring down the barrel of a shotgun. I look beyond the menacing darkness of the barrel to the man holding the gun. He has a thin face, sleepy eyes, and wisps of facial hair sprouting from his jawline. Speaks in a high, phlegmy voice. I do believe y'all is trespassing. Hold up, Freddy, says Kip. We wouldn't be here if y'all hadn't stolen another man's property. If you're talking about the load we found on that bus, that's ours fair and square. We found it. We kept it. It's my stuff, I say, and I absolutely want it back. Too bad. You left it. We found it. It's ours. And now, as the owner of this land, I got a right to shoot you where you're lying. You ain't the owner of this land, Chip declares defiantly. Your mama and your daddy own this land. If anybody gets to decide what to do with us, it's them, not you. Freddy pauses, considering these words, as he glares at us over the shotgun. Finally, he spits on the ground and motions for us to stand. You want to deal with my mama and my daddy? Fine with me. But just remember something. Compared to them, I'm the nice guy. Now march down that hill. Once we emerge from our hiding place and start down the hill, the two Rottweilers go crazy, barking and snarling at us, hurling themselves at the chain link. Cyrus looks up from skinning his deer, the cigarette between his lips glowing bright orange as he puffs away. When he sees Freddy marching us across the yard, he flashes an ugly grin and snorts derisively. Come on now, Freddy, he calls out, his cigarette bouncing as he speaks. You know those twins won't be good eating. Why don't you go hunt some real meat? Shut up, Cyrus. They's trespassing. Gonna let Mama and Daddy decide what happens to them. Why don't you be a man for once and just pull that trigger? Why you gotta have Mama and Daddy tell you what to do? Freddy quivers with rage. You shut up, Cyrus! He bellows. And that is an excerpt from Conflicted Man, which is the second book in this series by Eric Lansbury. The first book is called Solitary Man, and they both are available on Amazon.com or wherever books are sold. I just love that whole sequence, and I love the fact that you went into character and got it for us. <laughs> I love that because I could totally see it acting out in my mind. This would be such a good movie. I wish Hollywood, instead of regurgitating some of the old movies ad nauseum, they would just come to you and say, hey, Eric, can we buy your book and turn it into a movie? I hear we you. We need new things, too. You know, <laughs> yep. you kind of like, we have more ideas, guys. There's so many ideas. Just go ahead and be with us, but they won't do it. Do it, Eric. <laughs> they won't do it. Now, I know the book just came out, but what has been some of the reviews or responses from readers you've received? Basically, I haven't heard a lot just yet, but I have just several people have come to me and just said, wow, this is really great. It's not the direction they were expecting per se, but they're just like, this is a really great book. Uh, this is even better than Solitary Man. So that's the overall 
vibe I'm getting so far. So I'm really happy with the reception so far. And I'm glad for you. That must give you a notch in your belt a little bit in a good way because it's like, yeah, my second book, I got it going on. You know what I mean? Like, like I got it. Yeah. And so you definitely should, in my opinion, do a third book because I told you to. I was like, you know, I told you to do a third book. You should totally do it because this world, you could really build this world. <laughs> you could build this world. This world has lots of things you can do with it. You could do a lot of things with it. Have you thought about that? Oh, yeah. I had intended to end the story at book two, but then that little epilogue at the end crept into my mind. And I was like, all right, we'll leave that door open a crack. So I definitely have a third book in mind. I have a lot of ideas. I just haven't really nailed it down yet. The direction is going to go where we're going to go with it. But I definitely, I think it's something in my future for now. Although I, I have, I'm working on some other projects now. I've been immersed in this world for I mean, the first draft of Solitary Man was 2015. So we're talking seven years I've been immersed in this world. So I'm working on some different things now, but I definitely will return to this universe. That's guaranteed, I think. I think that's sound, too, because sometimes you can be so immersed into the world, you can't see anything else. And sometimes you get bogged down by it because it's difficult to build this world, live in this world all the time. And going to a different project can actually help you come back to this one with renewed vigor if you will. So I totally understand that idea. Well, Eric, we are at the end of our show today, but I want to have people get an opportunity to find you online. So go ahead and share your social media outlet. Sure. I'm on Facebook at Eric Landfried Author. I'm on Twitter at E underscore Landfried. That's L-A-N-D-F-R-I-E-D. And I'm also on Instagram at Eric Landfried. So find me there. I'm very active on Twitter and Facebook, occasionally on Instagram. So... In the few moments we have left, as always, I want you to encourage our authors out there whom God has given the gift to write to pick up a pen and do so. The best thing I can say is to keep writing. If you have stories to tell, tell them. Whether they're published or not is not that important. It's about being able to tell the story and get it out out of your head and onto the page because that's the best way to grow as a writer. It's like there are plenty of published novels that are have atrocious writing in them. So focus more on becoming good at the craft than getting published. Honestly, the good, the really good writers, the people who have developed themselves over time, those are the ones who do eventually find their way onto the shelves. But just z- focus in on the craft first and then worry about the publishing stuff later. Eric, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us on the show today. Cannot wait to have you back and have you back real soon. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much, Parker. I really appreciate it. And we were talking today to Eric Landfree. He is the author of the new release, Conflicted Man, which is book two of his series. The first book in the series is called Solitary Man. We want to thank Ambassador International for the connection. So if you want to find out what Ambassador International has to offer, go to ambassador-international.com and find out what they can do for your reading enjoyment. Thank you so much for joining me for this edition of The Right Stuff. I'm the Queen Parker J, and you have a wonderful absolutely glorious blessed day hello it is ryan and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day couldn't we just to make up for things like sitting in traffic doing the dishes counting your steps you know all the mundane stuff that is why i'm such a big fan of chumba casino chumba casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.